and unfortunately, I, I bring that up because I think uh, I think in a lot of academia, there, there's mm-hmm. some pretty serious room to improve there. Yeah, I, I can't agree more with you. I think you said really also excellent point about that. But maybe the question here, because I think that's something we ask every um, every episode, that why the transition between what we have in the lab to industry is so, so challenging? What are the missing pieces uh, in that case? So if I can ask you first, how you would define soft robotics? And if you can tell us about what ha- have been already the most well-known development about Hazel Actuator and how it was feasible for you and Christopher and the rest of the team, this kind of transition. Were there many missing pieces that when you in the lab and how, how you foresee the potential uh, to be in a real industry application? What could be the okay. question you had in this time? Yeah. Two fantastic questions. I'm going to break those down into two. First, let me define soft robotics a little bit better because it's bigger than just us over at Artemis. And then I'll and then I'll dive into kind of some of the learnings we've had uh, trying to commercialize our particular soft robotic technology. And I'll be frank with you, we're, we're still pushing through a lot of those, right? We're very early over here what that commercialization looks like. So first, soft robotics, we're not the first uh, to, to know that this kind of material science approach to robotics was a good idea. Uh, people have been working on bio-inspired robots and soft robots. And, and just for the listener, soft here, uh, it, it truly means soft like it's compliant or flexible. Soft as in the material property as opposed to hard or rigid. Uh, and so you, you can obtain that by using you know elastomers or compliant structures. Or there's a variety of different things you can do. Uh, and soft robotics, uh, I would say, you know, if you go back into the 50s, uh, there's this old technology called a McKibben's actuator. I mean, that was around for a long time. Uh, in the in, Right at the turn of the century in 2000, uh, there was another real good spurt of soft robotic technology came out of SRI, Stanford Research Institute, uh, called the Dielectric Elastomer Actuator, DEA. There was even a, a, a startup that spun out from that. It, it was around for about five years. It even had product uh, in the commercial market for a brief amount of time, um, but it didn't end up working out, unfortunately. Uh, that company was called Artificial Muscle Inc. Um, and again, that technology was a dielectric elastomer actuator. And, and I say that because our technology here, Artemis, the Hazel uh, actuator, it takes a lot of inspiration from that DEA. And then more more recently, you know, soft robotics has really been picked up uh, by some of the big uh, some of the big academic entities, specifically Harvard uh, and George Whiteside and his group over there. Uh, and they've even commercialized some of it as well with a company called, appropriately named, Soft Robotics Inc., uh, which mm-hmm. use air-based and uh, elastomeric systems. Um, and so there's been some great approaches. I would say when people think of soft robotics, they often think of those categories of actuators. There are other things, of course. There's uh, ionic, uh, ionic gels. Um, and, and again, just you can just print things that have a compliant kind of structure because of it. Uh, but then with all that, we'll trickle into what is a hazel actuator and how it's different. A hazel actuator tried to take those two prevalent technologies, mitigate some of their issues towards commercialization while, while mm-hmm. distilling down their benefits. And what I really mean by that is we, t- we take from the dielectric elastomer actuator community, we take the, the use of high voltage electronics, the use of electrostatics, which enables high controllability, good portability, things like that. And then we, we borrow from the from the pneumatic uh, uh, pneumatic elastomer 
elastomeric systems, we borrow fluidic concept, concepts. And so when you use fluidics to drive motion, you can access hydraulic principles. You can get very complex structures. Uh, there's a lot of benefits there. So, so the hazel actuator distills those two things. Uh, we define a hazel as really the combination of using high voltage electrostatics with thin plastic films and some sort of liquid dielectric. We, th we believe those are the core principles that make up our hazel actuator. And that enables it to, to provide analog control to access hydraulic uh, mechanisms so we can get pretty good force uh, and do a lot of other interesting things too that we can get into in time. Uh, and so anyways, that, that's what I would say, that's what the, to define and give a landscape of the soft robotics community. And then I'll, I'll go jump right into your next question there, uh, if I may, which is, uh, which, is, which is what are some of the learnings we've had here at Artemis as we've gotten, gotten to that. And I'll start with just a joke. The, the, the folks and I here at Artemis, we often say, whoever ever said that quote, that hardware was easy, must have had it wrong. Uh, and that's, a, that's obviously a joke because the, the quote is hardware is hard. Uh, and when you're making things, and more importantly, when you're making things that stretch and move intentionally, uh, things get very complex very quickly. Uh, and so like one thing that we got right going working on here at Artemis as soon as we were thinking about commercializing was lifetime and reliability. Um, you'll hear even over in software, it's easy to make anything work once. And it's not easy, but but it's anyone can make anything work once. It's making something work every time with a variety of different influences affecting it. You see it with software all the time. It works on one machine, but then you send it off to a million other phones and they all have slightly different apps and slightly different updates. And all of a sudden you got all these bugs. It, and so so with that, it's kind of finding that re repeatability. It's providing people with the same motion they expect over and over again. It's making that device, that piece of hardware reliable over and over again. So those are some of the technical challenges. But then I would say that the real, the biggest challenge is, is application. Uh, soft mm -hmm. Robotics has had a beautiful academic story for a long time. That story being bio-inspired, solving these difficult motion challenges that only natural muscle is able to do. Uh, but when it comes to put the, the rubber meets the road, what, what does those applications look like? And how do you build a company that can provide value both near term and survive for the first few years, actually get a product out there that's generating some amount of revenue, well then also scaling towards you know the vision that we of course always have, which is these uh, Westworld robots, these humanoid robots walking around, these exosuits that are just integrated into your clothes, things like that. Those futuristic applications are beautiful and elegant and we're, we're striving towards that. But there's some near-term steps that you have to do to, to get there. And so application and what problem do you really solve? I would say at Artemis, we discovered um, that's just as important, if not more important, than the technical challenges we have, which are, which are there as well.